All right, we are live. Jim is right, everybody. I'm stupid. He's smart. <laughs> I was wrong. He was right. He's the best. I'm the worst. He's very good looking. I'm not attractive. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the current administration's plan to destroy reliable energy in this country. Also, we're going to be talking about the contradiction uh, with everything that Joe Biden is doing. And also, uh, what's the likelihood that the Democratic establishment is going to jettison Joe Biden at their next opportunity? We're going to be talking about all of that and more in episode 351 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me after a week off, we have Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you today, good sir? I'm doing fine. You know, I was in kind of a salty mood today, but after that wonderful introduction by you mentioning uh, all my great attributes and a fantastic decision by the Supreme Court on gun rights, I'm in a much better mood. Fantastic. Also joining us, we have Chris Talgo, senior, also had a week off uh, last week. Senior editor at the Heartland Institute. How are you today, Chris? Uh, like Jim, I'm kind of not in the greatest mood because of the uh, FDA decision to ban all jewel products. So oh, I'm, oh I'm in mourning. Yeah, you know that that could be a topic that we address in the future because uh, that is a topic that we have talked about on this podcast before and at the Heartland Institute, and it seems pretty. Uh, I think to use your term, pretty asinine decision there. But uh, that's for a future podcast. We'll talk about that later. So we got a lot to talk about today, but before I get going, this is that message that I put out there every podcast, which is for mostly our audio-only listeners that are probably catching this on a Friday or maybe over the weekend. You can join us a day earlier on Thursday at noon central time for the live show broadcasted on YouTube and Rumble and Facebook and Twitter, wherever you want to find our faces. You can join in the conversation by leaving your comments, putting in some questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comment on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. And also, uh, just as a reminder that we do have an In the Tank podcast channel on YouTube specifically for this show when we're talking about things that might be a little controversial because YouTube has threatened our channel with destruction based on some of the things that Jim has said on the podcast before. So in an effort to not self-censor ourselves, we created a separate channel in the Tank Podcast. So uh, if you subscribe to that, you will ensure that you will not miss an episode. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, let me set up my thesis for this episode first. Um, and we have a bunch of stuff to back up this thesis. And after I'm finished with my little synopsis of things, Jim is going to roll his eyes and say, I told you so, but whatever. <laughs> so I think, based on some of the new developments that we're going to talk about today, that there is absolutely a coordinated attack on reliable energy being pushed by the World Economic Forum, other advocates of the ESG and the Great Reset, and the Biden administration, but I repeat myself. Of course, this is going to come with political blowback, but uh, I think the plan, uh, in America at least, is to allow all that anger and blowback to be directed squarely at Joe Biden. I think the Dems are going to sacrifice an election or two uh, as the price to pay for this radical transformation of the, of the country. And then when they are serious about winning elections again, they will bring in a new can candidate that is far younger and more powerful. Sorry, I've been watching a lot of Star Wars lately. <laughs> So uh, let's start with the back end of that and, and work towards the more meaty substance of this thesis here. Obviously, Joe Biden has been taking a lot of heat politically throughout this first year and a half of his presidency. I mean, he didn't even really start off with a whole lot of support. Like no one was excited about the Joe Biden presidency. His main selling point for his presidency was that he wasn't Donald Trump. So like no one really likes him. 
But then once he was elected, his administration was just battered relentlessly with a slew of bad stories. COVID went crazy. Afghanistan collapsed. The border crisis worsened. Inflation boomed. Russia invaded Ukraine. You seriously couldn't go like a week without some new terrible story coming out that made Joe Biden and his administration look bad. And now inflation and gas uh, and energy prices are all out of whack. And it seems like we're running headlong into a recession. So um, it just kind of begs the question, is Joe Biden going to even run again? Uh, I think I think the Democratic establishment is going to have to seriously consider that question. And, uh, you know, we're still like probably a year away from that question being seriously pondered by the Democratic establishment. But we did get a sneak peek of this quandary about a week ago when CNN's Dana Bash spoke with my second favorite socialist, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So we do have a clip of this, and I want to play it, and then I'll get to Jim and and Chris's uh, reactions. Go ahead. Poll after poll shows Americans believe the country is heading in the wrong direction, with many placing the blame squarely on President Biden. But there are signs even some elected Democrats are wavering in their support for the president. Listen to Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. CNN's Dana Bash asked her today if she would endorse Biden in 2024. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but um, but I think if if the president has a vision, and that's something certainly we're all willing to entertain and examine when the when the time comes. That's not a yes. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, you know, I think uh, we should okay. endorse when we get to it. But I, I, I believe that the president has been doing a very good job uh, so far. And, um, you know, should he run again? I think that I, you know, I think it's it's we'll take a look at it. <laughs> Okay, go ahead and stop it there. So so there's a couple of interesting things going on there. They kind of edited it a little bit differently because she was directly asked, like, are you going to support Joe Biden for like a second term? And that's when that first part of her answer where it was like, well, you know, I like some of the things he's doing. So, you know, we'll see how the, all the future transpires and all of that. And then Dana Bash's that wasn't a yes. Awkward silence. I feel like there's producers in her ear being like, all right, why, why are you pressing her on this? Just move on, move on. But then AOC's like, uh, as you could see, the most kind of awkward, I don't want to answer this question ever. So, I mean, I know that it's AOC and she's not fully embraced by the Democratic establishment by any means. Um, but I think it is a little telling of how the future of Joe Biden's uh, presidency uh, exists. I don't know. What do you think, Jim? Well, there's only there's only two ways that Joe Biden won't run for re-election uh, in 2024. I should say, you know, well, one, if Jill, Bi- Jill Biden decides that she doesn't want to be first lady anymore, um, and if he decides to actually voluntarily pull himself out, or there's actually three ways, or there, there's there could be, and, and the way that that would happen is that if somebody has something really bad on him and basically would blackmail him into into pulling out and not running again. And then the other option is um, is what happened to Jimmy Carter uh, in, in 1980, he got primaried. Uh, it, it happens rarely. Uh, it's happened to George, uh, HW Bush as well. Pat Buchanan primaried him, but there has to be another choice. So you either have to be, either have to have him pull out or there, there are, there's a primary challenge to him, which you may very well see. Uh, Bernie may do it. Um, I don't know if AOC is going to be old enough yet to be president. Who knows? She may do it. Uh, that's the only way that's, that it's not going to happen. But, you know, I, I'm just actually wondering what AOC even has to complain about. This is the best president she could have ever hoped for. I mean, the idea that Biden isn't far enough left at this point, I mean, you're going to see in a clip that we play later here in this podcast that he promised in the Democratic primary that he would, quote, end fossil fuels. I mean, he basically moved, tried to move to the left of Bernie Sanders when it comes to <laughs> a socialist, you know, crazy green radical agenda. Um, you know, he he revoked existing oil leases on, on the North Slope of Alaska, something that Trump allowed after decades of delays. He eliminated the streamlining of drilling lease applications um, that Trump had put in place. And just last month, Biden's EPA denied an expansion plan at a refinery in the United States Virgin Islands. And why? Because of environmental justice. That's why. So I don't know. I, don't, I, I really don't know why AOC would not endorse Joe Biden for president. I encourage her to endorse Joe Biden for president in 2022. Um, you know, the Democratic Party and the left needs Biden in there in order to get all of their agenda items uh, through, um, because he's basically just a shell of a president uh, that is a that is an avenue, a a a puppet, as it were, to get the leftist agenda. And as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, here in the introduction, kind of like the World Economic Forum agenda implemented here in the United States. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Chris, what do you think? Do you think he's destined to be like a one-term president? I also have this article, and everything that I referenced will be in the show notes. Uh, from The Hill, the article is titled, Biden Can't Escape Questions on His Age. It talks about how, uh, you know, by the time that he runs again for a second term, he'll be 81. And considering Joe Biden's mind, that's an old 81. It also says that the Harvard-Harris poll survey out this month revealed that 62% of respondents said Biden is showing he is too old to be president. The Atlantic's uh, author launched a piece last week with the opener, let me put this bluntly, Joe Biden should not run for president in 2024. He is too old. And a poll that we did with Rasmussen just a, I don't know, a month or two ago showed that less than half of Democrats want Joe Biden to run again. So, I mean, is the is the writing on the wall for this guy? Is is he going to are they going to put him up again? Maybe put him up to just lose. What do you think? I think after the midterm elections, uh, Joe Biden's going to announce that he will not seek the 2024 uh, presidential uh, nomination for the wow. Democratic Party. Bold, bold prediction. Yep, I do think that's going to happen because I think that uh, we can all see that uh, Joe Biden is not capable of uh, running, you know, again, he's definitely not capable of governing for four more years. We've seen a a substantial decline in his mental and physical capabilities in, uh, you know, less than 18 months on the job. I just I can't even, you know, fathom uh, what he's going to be like two and a half years from now when it's, you know, time for reelection. And also, like you said, Donnie, uh, many in the media, many in the Democratic Party are openly questioning uh, his age and whether or not he uh, is going to be able to run again. So I think I think they are uh, trying to, you know, get rid of that before it even becomes an issue. Well, here we got a comment on here uh, from Nikki on Facebook saying that he's a fall guy. And uh, this is exactly the point that I want to get to. Uh, is Joe Biden the fall guy? Is he just the guy that's going to usher in all of this stuff? be the first real uh, the person pushing for this radical transformation of our society and economy and all of that through fossil fuel, like getting rid of fossil fuels and, and whatever. And then all of that political windfall and, and fallout will just be directed squarely on Joe Biden. Knock him out, get him out of there. We'll put in someone else. And, uh, you know, when the history books are written, everyone will just look back at Joe Biden as just being this failure, not necessarily representative of the Democratic Party, just him, kind of the same way that Jimmy Carter has talked about. What do you think about that, Jim? Yeah, I think that's 100 percent correct. I mean, this is the pattern that followed that. That's why we have Obamacare uh, It's because, you know, the the left and the Democratic Party realized this is our only chance to ever get nationalized health care in, in, in the United States. And if it's they knew it was going to cost them. Uh, the midterm elections, big time. Uh, and it's like anyway, Obama even said, we got a shellacking in 2010. That was the Tea Party Revolution pushing back against Obamacare. Uh, and so this, they've done this in the past, and, th and they're doing it now. I mean, Joe Biden is a is a shell president. He is there only for the purpose of cramming in as much of the leftist agenda as possible. A lot of it through executive action. A lot of it through, um, you know, the deep state. Frankly, the 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 administrative state that is implementing all of these policies on energy, uh, for instance, is one is one big one, of course, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that later. But yeah, they are totally willing to sacrifice the midterms and they realize and they figure, well, you know, it's it's a lot harder to roll back something that's already implemented than it is um, to get it done in the first place. So uh, they're going to take a huge political hit for this. They're going to get they're going to get swamped in the midterms. But they figure, you know, 10 years down the line, most of what we implemented during this this time of in a real hurry, getting a leftist agenda implemented as policy in the United States in 10 years, 80 percent of it will still exist. It'll be totally worth it to them. That's that's what's going on right now. Yeah, and I, I kind of push back against that, and I'll probably repeat myself later, but uh, I, I always just kind of thought like, you know, when when the rubber meets the road and, and all of the political repercussions of your terrible policies come to a head and it's going to result in you losing your position of power, you're going to relent on those some of those policies and you're going to try to ensure yourself that you can uh, retain some of that power that you've, that you've put yourself in. Donnie, you're out of your element. Donnie, you're out of your element. <laughs> that's that's a great double sound drop by you, Andy. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I think well, I think you're right. Go ahead, well, Chris. Yeah, when Joe Biden was elected uh, in his inauguration speech, he said that he was going to bring the country back together, and that you know after the four years of the Trump administration and all the division, that he was going to heal America. He has done the complete opposite of that. 
he has, you know, from day one, uh, tried to divide, you know, this country. And he has, you know, opened old wounds. He has poured salt in those wounds. Joe Biden, you know, ran as this milk toast. And I'm going to just, you know, put everything, you know, back, you know, back to the way it was. Right. And he's done the total opposite of that. So yeah. I, I, I doubt that um, he'll have this epiphany at the midterms and, uh, you know, pull a Bill Clinton and pivot to the center. I think that he is going to probably even go more uh, to the to the far left. And uh, after Barack Obama was shellacked uh, in the midterm elections later on in his presidency, what did he say? I have a pen and a phone. So he basically was just telling Congress, I don't care. I'm just going to do what I can anyways. I think Biden's going to take that and do that way more. Look, even before Joe Biden, you know, is now exposed to all of us, he has progressive dementia and is continuing to get worse day by day. He was always a nasty piece of work. He was always one of the nastiest politicians in uh, in Washington. Uh, he was basically senator for life. He was never going to be defeated, so he could do whatever he liked. Just because he would smile with those capped teeth of his while he um, said nasty things about his opponents. Remember, you know, today actually today is a good is a good day for this because today happens to be Justice Clarence Thomas's birthday, and Clarence Thomas was the lead uh, was the lead judge. He was the author of the lead opinion in the gun rights case today, and it was Joe Biden who led the smear campaign against Clarence Thomas during his, his confirmation hearings. So for, for decades, Joe Biden has never been a uniter and somebody who's going to bring the country together. It was all BS. And we should also remember that that was sold by the media. His entire presidential campaign was a media operation. He was locked in his basement for almost the entire campaign. It's, it's amazing that he got 81 million votes when well, almost never going outside and having rallies, rallies with like <laughs> 17 cars in a parking lot. And uh, 81 million votes. So oof, wonders never cease. Right. The same cars in the same parking lots. <laughs> um, so there, you know, we talked a lot last episode about uh, specifically the Biden administration's energy policies. So if you want to like a deep dive into some of those things, go check it out. I got a bunch of energy expert people on there with me talking about all of those policies. So it's a very important episode that we did last episode. But there is some kind of larger um, international, global things that are going on that I want to get into in this episode that almost overshadow those very important things that we talked about last episode. So I do want to get into that. But before we do, uh, Jim, I will just a little behind the scenes here. Uh, we were kind of waiting for the last second to like pull the trigger on some of the topics that we've decided on for today's episode because there's been a lot of uh, developments in the Supreme Court. There's been a lot of findings being released, decisions, I should say, being released. And obviously, there's a big one that's hanging out there that people have been waiting for for the last month or two. Mm -hmm. But there's also a pretty important energy and climate case that's being ruled on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's uh, it's it, the case is West Virginia versus EPA, uh, the state of West Virginia, or actually our, our Paul Fisher, who's a member of our board of directors and also a lawyer and a contributor and a policy advisor at the Heartland Institute. Uh, he wrote a piece on this just a couple of uh, weeks ago. You can check that out. You can find it by just Googling uh, West Virginia versus EPA if you go to um, the heartlanddailynews.com site. Anyway, uh, so he writes, quote, quote, this case raises the question whether whether the EPA can regulate carbon dioxide emissions under the Clean Air Act. There is no mention of carbon dioxide emissions or climate change in the Clean Air Act. The purpose of the Clean Air Act was to regulate pollution, which could have adverse health effects, unquote. So basically, West Virginia, about in 2000, I think, yeah, 2007, there was a case, Massachusetts versus EPA, which gave the Environmental Protection Agency to regulate, which under the Clean Air Act, to regulate carbon dioxide emissions as a pollutant. Carbon dioxide, of course, is not a pollutant. Uh, and emitting carbon dioxide does not make you a polluter who should be regulated by the EPA under the Clean Air Act. And so the West Virginia versus EPA case is to basically reverse the Massachusetts versus EPA uh, case that gave the, the Environmental Protection Agency enormous power over our economy. Um, if you can regulate energy, you can regulate everything. Uh, and so the EPA has been has been regulating um our power plants, which is why, you know, we're not building any more coal plants anymore. Um, you know, we transferred to nat natural gas, which emits less carbon dioxide, quite a bit less than a coal plant. Um, but that wasn't good enough either. So EPA wants to get rid of those and regulate those things out of existence. And so, um, you know, what's important here is that this, this case could be 
you know, I know that the abortion case obviously is an enormous case. Uh, the gun rights case today was an enormous case. But this this decision on West Virginia versus EPA has the potential to really rein in the power of government in, in a way that most of us have not actually seen in our own lifetimes, mm. um, because you would be rolling back the ability of the EPA to basically have carte blanche regulation abilities uh, through the Clean Air Act. And if you take if, if the Supreme Court decides even narrowly that carbon dioxide is not a pollutant, so that it's not part of the Clean Air Act and the EPA cannot regulate it, that alone would be a huge, huge victory uh, for conservatives or anybody who actually believes in the Constitution and the rule of law and, and wants to rein in a runaway administrative agency like EPA. But like, you know, let's be clear here. The, the, the Clean Air Act is a good thing. It was it was first signed into law in 1963. It's had a couple of major uh, additions to it over the years, including in 1990, when George H.W. Bush signed probably the, the latest big expansion of the Clean Air Act. And since that time, you know, uh, I looked this up uh, last night. Um Mobile sources of pollutants, actual pollutants, not carbon dioxide, including automobiles, trains, and boat engines have become 99% cleaner of hmm. pollutants like carbon monoxide and nitrogen oxides and particle emissions um, since the 1970s. Harmful pollutant emissions from our cars are down 90% from the 1970s, despite the fact that we are driving 400% more miles today than we did when the Clean Air Act uh, was, was, put into, was put into law. And mercury emissions from power plants are down 80%. The EPA decades ago should have declared victory. They should have had a huge party and all of America could have celebrated with them. We won. We cleaned up the environment. But the Environmental Protection Agency is completely staffed by radical leftist environmentalists and they don't want to give up their power. So they pretended and they continue to pretend that carbon dioxide is a pollutant and want to regulate it so they can continue to have control over our, our economy and our lives. This case, West Virginia versus EPA, Look for it. It, it. it could be coming out any day now. I think it's even more important than the other cases that people are, are kind of have their attention on. Hmm. Yeah. Once that decision comes down, which will probably be next week, I assume. Probably. Uh, maybe we should uh, maybe we should address that, too. Maybe bring on some type of expert that can get a little bit uh, into the nitty gritty about that. Um, but to go back to uh, my thesis with this Joe Biden and being the fall guy, um, you know, have you ever seen like one of those movies or TV shows where somebody is set up for the as the fall guy and like there's like the murder victim over here. And uh, in this analogy, this would be like the oil industry. And then they're like, oh, no, we've got this video of this guy saying all these awful things about this person. So it's probably likely that he's the one that murdered him. Well, we have that video for Joe Biden when it, when it comes to the oil and gas industry. This is a montage of things that Joe Biden had to say during and throughout his campaign uh, for president. Let's go ahead and play it. Look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel and I am not going to cooperate. As president, would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth? even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. Number one, no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. No more, no new fracking. We, we are... We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. So, I know the president once said that he was going to end fossil fuel. Is that now off the table? No, we are going to continue uh, to move forward with our uh, clean energy uh, proposal, our climate change uh, and, and so proposal. So between the years 2021 and 2030, it's irreversible, the path we've set ourselves on. And one of which is doing away with any subsidies for fossil fuels, number one. Number two, holding them liable for what they have done, particularly in those cases where you're underserved neighborhoods and you, you know the deal, okay? And by the way, when they don't or when they're deliberate, put them in jail. That's what I, I'm not joking about this. The companies running gas stations and setting those prices at the pump, this is a time of war global peril, Ukraine. These are not normal times. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product. Do it now. 
Do it today. Your customers, the American people, they need relief now. So last episode, I started getting a little heated because I just couldn't understand the cognitive dissonance of of trying to separate all of this rhetoric and the things that Joe Biden has done with his energy policy from the effects that are happening at the at the price of the pump. I, I cannot understand how people can watch that and be like, oh, yeah, but like, what's the explanation? That all of the things that he's been doing are ineffective, that he's completely failed on this uh, attempt to do all the things that he was just talking about. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I I went on a a pseudo gym rant uh, on last week's episode because of that. Um, So before I get into uh, this next part or whatever, uh, I'll let you, Jim, (laughs) think, uh, uh, talk openly about about that uh, kind of discrepancy that I reflected on. Well, it's it's this idea that this isn't on purpose. I mean, we we may or may not play a clip. I grabbed it from June second, twenty twenty two, where I went off and said this is on purpose. And this idea that you know Joe Biden actually cares about the high price of gasoline is BS. It's bunk. This is the plan. We know it's the plan, and that montage shows it's always been the plan. And I, I I made that clip myself, and I put on the end that was just from what yesterday or two days ago. Joe Biden basically begging the oil, uh, the domestic oil producers in this country, and basically the people who own gas stations, to just go ahead and you know maybe take the the, the five in the front of that price and make it a four or something or a three, and uh, you know because they they, they could just do that right like they're yeah. all profiteers, you know the guy who runs the Seven Eleven and the BP over you know on the corner that guy is just you know raking in the raking in the dough like they can do these sorts of things. And so you can't spend, which which is just, you know, this is why it has to be on purpose. They have spent decades demonizing uh, gasoline companies and increasingly so this year. And then at the very same time, you're basically asking them to, you know, make less profit now when you want to put them out of business in five to 10 years. It's seriously. It's, it's like, I don't think they're actually that dumb. I think they think that we are that dumb. And uh, all you have to do is look at that montage and realize that this is all on purpose and that we're not that dumb. We can figure it out, which is why they're going to get shellacked in November. Chris, I got a little bit of a uh, a bunch of texts that I need to read. So I'll give you another chance to kind of get your, your thoughts out here before I uh, talk at the audience for the next like four minutes. Well, I think that Jim, you know, it hit the nail on the head, you know, months ago when he said that this was intentional at first, I was like, no way. I can't believe that. They're just so incompetent. They're just so inept. They just don't know what they're doing. But then I started to, you know, think back and, you know, Jim, Jim's right. Uh, Barack Obama said several years ago that the point is to make the price of gasoline so expensive that Americans simply can't afford it anymore. And, you know, Biden has taken that idea and run with it. And, you know, the American people, they see through this. You know, I, I, I watch polls. I see a lot of polls. When it comes to the price of gasoline and the uh, inflation issue, Americans are blaming Joe Biden. They are not buying the Vladimir Putin price-like talking point. They are not buying the big oil is greedy talking point. They are not buying the gas stations. <laughs> gas station owners are greedy uh, talking point. They know that this is very simply due to the fact that Joe Biden has limited, severely limited the supply of oil and, uh, you know, and and uh, fossil fuels in the United States. And when you restrict the supply and demand remains constant or goes up, as is the case after the, uh, the pandemic lockdowns, you're going to have a sky high price increase. Right. That is very simply what's happened here. You can add on to that the fact that Joe Biden's uh, American Rescue Plan, in which he just literally printed $2 trillion and just shoveled it into the economy, is also a a generator of the gasoline uh, 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 price hikes because, you know, gasoline is a uh, or I should say oil is a uh, it's a commodity that's sold in the world market and it's it's sold, bought and sold in dollars. Okay. And when the, the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury just starts printing trillions of dollars in a short period of time, it's going to take more dollars to buy oil and gasoline. This is totally self-inflicted. This is this is on purpose. It's intentional. 
And, you know, their, their response is, oh, go buy an EV. Well, hey, guess what? Americans can't afford EVs. And last time I checked, how do you charge an EV? Through the electric, <laughs> through electricity. How do you generate <laughs> electricity from fossil fuels, mainly in the United States, because we don't have a wind and solar uh, system in place to charge the, you know, the, the EVs that they want Americans to buy. And just to show how out of whack their EV uh, panacea solution is, there are 276 million cars in the United States. Less than 1% are EVs. Less right. than 1%. How are we going to force 99% of Americans to say, you know what, get rid of that gas guzzler and go buy an EV? It's just, it, it's so ridiculous. It's so absurd. It's so non-serious. It's, it's getting to the point where the American people are just getting fed up with this. I'm so the you, national, the I national, go ahead. Go ahead oh, the, the, the national, the national power grid would collapse instantly. If, if we sure. were to instantly just snap our fingers and make 8% of all vehicles on the road electric, um, you know, been 24 hours, the entire grid would collapse. We don't have the capacity so, for it. So we, we, I've, like I said, last episode, we talked a lot about Biden's uh, administration policies, energy policies, and the important effect that they have had already and will continue to have on the price of uh, energy and gas in this country. But wait, there's more, because this, this next thing I'm going to get into might dwarf all of that stuff put together, multiplied by two. So if you're tuned into this, pay close attention to some of this that, uh, that I'm about to talk about. So this next section is derived from a new piece authored by our very own Justin Haskins, who I tried to get on the podcast. So bear with me as I convey Justin's arguments and evidence for this thing. Um, but hey, you are getting a sneak peek at this because I don't think that this uh, op-ed has been published yet. So you're getting a sneak peek at this. So the article starts off talking about inflation, record high gas prices. Uh, as we've already covered, this is not lending itself to good polling numbers for Biden. With all that in mind, why would an alliance composed of the Biden administration, Wall Street firms, banks, corporations, and the United Nations be pursuing a plan that would very specifically raise the prices of oil and gas? So let's talk about the United bite your tongue, Jim. Now we're <laughs> let's talk about the United Nations race to zero campaign. So according to the United Nations, Race to Zero is a global campaign to rally leadership and support from businesses, cities, regions, investors for a healthy, resilient, zero carbon recovery that prevents future threats, creates decent jobs, and unlocks inclusive, sustainable growth. These real economy actors join 120 countries in the largest ever alliance committed to achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050 at the latest, according to the United Nations. One of the most important race to zero partner coalitions is the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, or GFANS, a large group of, quote, leading financial institutions committed to accelerating the decarbonization of the economy. So this group includes, you know, the, some of the largest banks, asset managers, insurance companies, basically anyone that advocates for the Great Reset is a part of this. Well, on June 15th, the United Nations-backed Race to Zero campaign announced that it has tightened its already strict energy policies for its extremely large, exceptionally powerful membership group, pushing the world towards an even greater energy crisis. So this change is going to require the G fans and the race to zero members to within a year, quote, phase down and out all unabated fossil fuels as part of a just transition, something which was previously implicit. Uh, this is reading from Justin's article. Race to Zero's website further notes, quote, in practice, this means uh, corporations and investors must re must restrict the development, financing, and facilitation of new fossil fuel assets, which include new coal projects. So in a world where energy and gas prices are skyrocketing, the UN and all of these parties that I just listed are, are, are planning to tr double, triple, and quadruple down on the policies that caused this problem to happen in the first place. And all of these banks and governments and investment firms are now going to tighten their grip around the throat of reliable energy across the globe. Jim, 
too heavy for you? No. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, this pretty- goes be this goes beyond you know Joe Biden. This is this is all of the great reset ESG apparatus in full effect here. When you're reading when when you're reading all that to me and I'm listening to it, you know, I, I my mind went to you know if you spend any time on Twitter, if you have any any friends that are on the left. One of their biggest fears, um, they fear, and, and he's with the Handmaid's Tale, right? They they fear living in a theocracy. This race to zero and ESG and the and the uh, and the Great Reset and all this stuff—that's living in an actual theocracy. These are cultists. These are people who are going to impose their fantasy of. Um, of life, of how life can actually exist on the rest of us, because they have the power to do it. Um, America was never a theocracy, as as big as or, or as supposedly powerful as the uh, you know the conservative coalition was uh, in the, in the 1980s with Jerry Falwell and those kinds of things. You know, they didn't really have any any real cultural power, um, and they did certainly didn't have a lot of influence on on policy in the government. These cultists. Who believe this stuff? Who think we can go to a carbon, a carbon dioxide emitting free future by 2050? That is magical thinking. That is insane. And if they actually are able to put these policies in place, it's going to cost the lives of literally billions of people. As Joe Biden would say, that's not a joke. I mean it. Literally, billions of people will die under this agenda. And it's a and it's it's cultish. This none of this is is, is remotely uh, grounded in reality, uh, but we are seeing countries. It makes it gives me a little bit of hope when you see countries like Germany, for instance. They've Germany is like should be a great example of what a green energy economy looks like. It they expected mm-hmm. it to be an enormous success. Mm-hmm. It is an enormous failure, and right. they are now restarting coal plants in Germany because their politicians are not stupid enough that they want their citizens to actually die. Because they do not have enough power to heat their homes or cool their homes, uh, and and their economy would completely collapse if they didn't have reliable energy. So they're going back to coal. So when you see stuff like that happening in Europe, the heart of all of this nonsense, the reality does set in. You know, we're never going to get to you know net zero or whatever the hell it is by 2050 because it's just not practically it's just not practical to do. So let these cultists have their have their fun. Let them have meetings. Let them get in private jets. To fly to to, um, to to a nice location in Europe somewhere and have meetings, but if any of this stuff becomes actual policy, lots and lots of people are going to die. Period. Yeah. Well, and the the thing is, and it, what's kind of funny because when I was talking about this with Justin, I was like, you know, like the kind of the the historical conservative and historical liberal of the past two decades were both half right about this stuff. It's like the conservatives thought the United Nations was going to be this super nat, uh, national government that was going to dictate policy on all of the, the member countries underneath it. And then the liberals thought that these big international corporations are going to dictate their policy and how the, the country should be run on all of the underlings that have to buy their products. In reality, it's a mixture of both. The United Nations is using these international corporations to enforce all of this terrible stuff on us. It's crazy, but this is again part and parcel of the Great Reset. I mean, Chris, when you when we were first talking to you about some of this Great Reset and ESG stuff, you were kind of a little uh, skeptical of it. You know, what what was the impact that this was going to have? You know, what were the teeth that some of these things were going to come come along with it? But uh, I think you can you, you've seen by now that uh, the power, the insidious nature of all of this stuff is very very powerful. Well, yeah, first of all, if they were really uh, genuine about their uh, caring for the environment and their uh, desire to reduce uh, CO2 emissions, they would. Don't. So first of all, the fact that they are opposed to nuclear shows that they have ulterior motives at hand. And I think the ulterior motives are making lots of money because I think that this whole green New Deal, green energy, renewable solar, wind turbine uh, you know, uh, movement is all about money because, yes. because I think that these, that these people realize that, Hey, you know what, if we can just like push the economy to move in that direction and we control those companies, like, you know, Al Gore does and, and, and many other very influential, uh, you know, green radicals, they're going to make out like bandits. Yes. Okay. And the, the rules are not going to apply to them. 
Al Gore and John Kerry and you know Larry Fink and all these people, they are not going to abide by the rules that they're setting for the rest of us. So they're just, you know, they're just the overlords who are saying, we're going to put the system in place. You are going to live under it. We are not going to live under it. And that's just the way it's going to be. It kind of kind of reminds me of a place like North Korea or the Soviet <laughs> Union or Cuba or Venezuela, you know, where the, you know, the people making the decisions do not live with the decisions that they make. Right. And that 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 is that is a recipe for disaster in the United States of America. And I think that the American people are going to reject this in full come 2022. And I think that this is going to be a giant wake up call for the Democratic Party and these radical leftists who are hellbent on, you know, shoving their, you know, their green energy agenda down our throats. I, 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 I can't stress this enough. Almost everywhere I go, people are sick and tired of the, you know, sky high price of gas and, and inflation across the board. And I think that they are really going to make their voices heard. We saw in the uh, Texas special election, there's a, uh, a district in the uh, very, very southern tip of Texas, right in the Rio Grande Valley, that has not gone Republican in more than 150 years. Hmm. Hey, guess what happened last week? It went Republican overwhelmingly. <laughs> Myra Flores just uh, 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 inaugurated in the Congress uh, a couple of days ago. So I think that I think that this is going to be a just complete reckoning. I mean, it, it has to be. It has to be. Because like I, I said, this this what I just described right there goes beyond just American politics. This is an international yes. uh, uh, coalition of all of these, the most influential people that you could imagine that are pushing this on us. So it has to be a, an absolute reckoning to send a signal even past, up past the federal government and all of that stuff. And uh, well, and, 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 and I, you know, the, the American people want a, you know, a, a clean environment. They, they want, yeah, they do. They want clean air. They want clean water, you know? So, but this is not about that. No, this is about a, a, you know, a unrealistic agenda of going to zero greenhouse gas emissions in, in a decade or so. It's just, it's insane. But, but wait, wait, there's more, there's more, Jim. Oh, that, that wasn't it of, of the of the plan here. Uh, this again, sneak peek reading from Justin's op-ed, unpublished so far. And that's not all. And perhaps the most remarkable part of the policy change, the UN's race to zero indicated that it will now require members to lobby in favor of government policies that will promote race to zero's views on climate change, effectively turning thousands of the world's most powerful private businesses into a propaganda <laughs> operation for many left-wing politicians. According to Race to Zero, this part of the policy change is called persuade. Don't you love that? Persuade. And it will, in their own words, mandate that members, quote, align their lobbying and advocacy activities with net zero by proactively supporting climate policies at the subnational and national level consistent with the race to zero criteria. But so mandate, turning... but mandate and persuade do not jive with one another. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, turning, yeah. So, so turning all these massive corporations, all of these massive banks and investment firms, all these massive insurance companies into lobbyists for the climate agenda. Seems a little insurmountable. What do you think, Jim? Oh, I mean, God, if there's one thing we don't have enough of, especially here in the United States, it's corporations telling us to be green and pushing the climate, the radical climate agenda. Oh, God, I never see commercials on that. We really should get more of those out there. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> it's as if they get um, higher dividends just by uh, climate virtue signaling, like like suddenly their stock will go up 20 points for doing that. It's, it's ridiculous. But, you know, all of this, you guys, do you guys get the sense that that these people are in a bit of a hurry uh, yes. to, to do all of this. And there, there's a reason for that. And this all, I, I, I guess I say this a lot. It all goes back to 2016. Trump was never supposed to be president. This was right. never supposed to happen. Right. Barack Obama was going to do the soft handoff to Hillary Clinton, who would obviously have two terms. And they were going to roll a lot of this stuff out slowly. Um, you know, it, so it wouldn't have so much economic pain because there would have been political consequences to it. So they figured they had eight years after Obama with eight years of Hillary Clinton. And they could have they could have done this stuff, you know, in a, they probably even had a year by year plan on how all these policies were going to be implemented. And then suddenly Hillary didn't win. And. Not only did Trump win, but he spent his four years 
showing that this stuff can be reversed, that we can actually have a clean environment, but also have our own energy in this country, that we can, you know, we can deregulate, we can get regulations out of people's way so that the economy, all sectors of the economy, but especially the energy economy can thrive. Uh, and so they realized, oh, crap, not only are we four years behind, we're probably uh, seven years behind what we want to do because Trump showed and, and did roll back a lot of regulations. That's why all this stuff is happening at 500 miles an hour. You know, we used to just be moving toward the edge of the cliff at a pretty at the speed limit. And, and now we are we're blasting past the speed limit and going right over the cliff because they figure they don't that, you know, again, 2022, the, the November election is coming. They figure they only have now a few more months to get a lot of this stuff done because yes, Republicans are going to be in charge of both the house and the Senate guaranteed. And basically the entire Biden agenda is dead on arrival. It will go absolutely nowhere. So they have to do it all right now. And so it's, it's also in coordination with all of these international groups. Yeah. Um, they, I guess they probably figure once our momentum is stopped in November, the international uh, coalition of all of this stuff will keep the momentum going and maybe we'll get it back again. Uh, you know, if Joe Biden is reelected or Kamala Harris is, is takes his place or whatever, uh, they figure they can, you know, they can get it done then. But, you know, this is all happening because of one thing that happened in 2016, Hillary losing. This is why yeah, all and, this is happening so damn fast. And, and another thing to kind of make mention of is, uh, is the idea that all this ESG stuff, while it's kind of, uh, you know, relatively speaking, new to me in just the past couple of years the infrastructure for this stuff has been set up for years decades and it just was flying under the radar it just kind of uh it just assumed a very innocuous identity and, and it wasn't on the radar of politicians and all of that to fight back against it uh you know people that are watching this show for the most part probably maybe they were aware of it but didn't realize how important it is and now the more that we dig into this the more obvious it is that this is incredibly important probably the most important stuff that's going on right now so hopefully if uh people that are a little bit more friendly to our point of view are in office in the coming two to four years this will still be squarely on their radar and they can take steps to fight back against this at a governmental level and uh you know thanks to you know to our own horn here but uh, the actions of you know the heartland institute and our government relations department and everything that justin does and all of that stuff has put this issue squarely on the radars of a whole lot of uh state level policymakers across the country so we're in a fairly good position here uh despite the fact that we are you know we've got these these goliaths that are a 10,000 times our size working against us but uh you know it's just kind of it, it well, you Donnie, know, we, but you know what? We have you know a little what? bit of hope. We've got a rock and a sling, I think. <laughs> it's it's frustrating because during the Trump administration, uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, decreased its CO2 emissions even uh, faster than the rate it was supposed to under the Paris Agreement. So under Donald Trump, we were actually making progress on that. Sure. So it's not it's not as if CO2 rates were climbing and the sure. you know, the the air was, you know, filthy and, you know, our water was, you know, uh, dangerous by any means whatsoever. Right. So th yeah. they're, they're just making this stuff up. Well, the, yeah, the mean, goal, the goal isn't to reduce CO2 emissions. The goal is to control the economies of the free right. West period. Right. That's it. Yes. And then, and of course, yes. control the people, control, control yes. our activities because we, because freedom is dangerous. You know, having people do with just, you know, whenever, whatever they want without harming freedom anybody else or harming the, the environment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I that's mean, what it's about. Let, Last week, uh, you know, we, we talked about how Exxon uh, acquired $30 billion in loans to upgrade their infrastructure when they were coming out of the pandemic so that they could adequately meet gas needs as people started driving around again. This development would destroy oil and gas companies' ability to do just that. They will be unable to get any loans to build new refineries or anything like that. This is seriously choking off this industry if this goes into full effect, which you know the plan is to have it up and operational in just one year here. And this is the story that changed my mind about all of this stuff that I kind of teased all of this with Jim saying that this is all intentional and all of that, because I naively thought that winning an election was the most important thing to the ruling class. If gas prices were too high, then they were going to have to do something to rescue their chances of staying in power. And they're hemming and hawing about climate change. It's just an election tactic. But when the met rubber meets the road, you know, they'll fold and allow reliable energy to flow freely again. 
nope, I was wrong. <laughs> so something like something like this is not the result of inept politicians pursuing policies that align with some polling. No, this is a deep-seated plan to destroy reliable energy. I see just, that now. Yeah, we just played a, a, a clip of Joe Biden saying repeatedly that this was his plan from the, 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 I, the I, beginning. I hear you. I hear you. I just thought that that would relent after you know the 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 repercussions of those policies were starting to be felt. And obviously, you know, I, I, I see, I see it now and I have seen it. I was a contributor to the, you know, the great reset book. Got it right here. If you haven't read it, you should great reset. So I'm aware of how these things are planned out and executed. I just had a little hope that perhaps politicians own selfish desire to retain power would trump these, you know, global schemes. But now I know I was wrong. So, so there is one other thing that I want to get to. Well, this is... Donnie, can I ask one last question on this? Do you think that Joe Biden is actually making these decisions, or do you think that oh, it's no. Ron Klain and uh, you know other people in the White House who are making these decisions? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I don't I think do he too. makes the decision to what pants he's going to wear in the. So morning. I don't. I don't think Ron Klain even cares whether Joe Biden is going to be reelected or not because he would not be the uh, chief of staff for you know a second presidential term anyway. So I think that he, that they just have marching orders from Obama and from. Uh, other big wigs in the Democratic Party to just go in, just do as much of this as possible, just just ram it down the throats. And, you know, Joe Biden, he'll just be collateral damage. Well, here. So so I think we've got a good theory here. You know, Biden is going to allow a bunch of these things to play out. He'll preside over the country while the foundation of this radical transformation is built. He'll be the fall guy and take all the political fallout. And it doesn't matter because he's going to retire after this anyways. But we still have a puzzle piece that I think we have to kind of fit into all of this. Um, and, and, it, and it comes in regards to things that he is doing uh, because of gas prices going up. So he claims he's encouraging oil and gas companies to produce more product. He's like begging them to. He's going hat in hand to Saudi Arabia. Or did did he do that yet? I don't he's know. Going to. Next, n- next month. Okay. Uh, and now, most recently, he is calling for a three-month suspension of the federal gas tax. So, Jim, if Biden is ushering in this radical change for the country, why is he doing any of this stuff? What do you think? Because he thinks because he thinks he can fool just enough voters to have the Democrats not get completely uh, annihilated in November. Uh, but people are not that dumb. Uh, you know, even even there was a, there was an analyst. Uh, I didn't see this. I read about it because only Chris on this podcast can watch CNN. I just I, I can't bring myself <laughs> to do it. But I read that even a CNN a CNN analyst uh, said that this this, you know, gas tax holiday uh, is a gimmick. Hell, uh, Barack Obama. And when he was running against John McCain, John McCain advocated a gas tax holiday and Obama called it a gimmick. Uh, but now his, you know, his, 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 you know, dementia patient, former vice president is now out there uh, doing this. But look, so the federal, this, talk a little bit about this gas taxes, by the way. And, and I, I read the other day, the oil companies make around 30 cents a gallon in profit. Oh, that's really? Their, that's I thought it was take. like five to 10 cents. Okay, so let's just say that 30 that I that I read, um, let's just say that's on the high end. In Illinois, Illinois, the state of Illinois makes 38 cents a gallon on the tax. Uh, and then if you add in the federal tax, which is 18 cents, uh, so government government makes a lot more money on the sale of a gallon of gas than the oil companies do, right? And so th- this idea that you're going to reduce the gas, uh, you know, reduce the gas taxes, I have a holiday is going to have any real effect on gas prices, or it's going to fool any voters is completely, is completely nuts. And uh, it's just, it's just really something I've never witnessed this, this political dynamic in my life where the president of the United States is basically standing with his, with, you know, he's standing with his boot on the face of the <laughs> oil companies and punching them with his with his free fist and also asking them, hey, could you could you help me out? You know, it's it's like an abusive relationship. You know, right. th- he he's he's crushing them while at the same time asking them uh, to to do him a favor. It's like, how do you how do you think people don't see this? How do you think this is going to work? It's not even smart politics. It's dumb. Well, it's also really bad policy because uh, one of the un- unintended consequences of it is it's actually probably going to lead to gas prices going up. And here's why. If the uh, federal uh, gas tax is rescinded for you know a short period of time, you know ninety days, it's going to cause uh, people to rush to the gas station, fill up their their cars, and what's going to happen? You're going to get even less supply with more demand. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, this well, is 
this is just economics 101. So it's yeah, it, it, prices it, aren't yeah, prices aren't high because you know, the oil companies are price gouging everybody. It's it's an right. absolute supply and demand issue. I mentioned earlier, and this should be repeated, that the the Biden administration there's an oil refinery in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and they wanted to expand, right? Joe Biden says explicitly, we need more refined gasoline here in the United States and available to us. A refinery in the Virgin Islands wanted to expand to help out with this problem, right? And what did the what did the um, Biden's EPA do? They said, no, you can't do that. And again, why? Because of environmental justice, because there's too many poor people that will smell uh, the refinery near their homes. So we can't do it. And so, you know, this, you know, is it on purpose? The oil companies are trying. And it, again, the supply of refined gas in the United States is down because of decisions like this. You know, people are not dumb and they can figure this out. Just got a load of facts. Yeah. Well, so the 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 whole gas tax thing. So I, I know that's a big, well, 18 cents federal gas tax. Like that's, uh, you know, that's not a whole lot or whatever. I'll, I'll take what I can get. I will uh, admit that. But there's also some like kind of gimmicks being played at like a state level. And I've got this tax foundation chart, uh, Andy, if you want to pull that up. But there's a there's a gimmick being played here where we have a governor's race happening in Illinois, where he's running ads. Pritzker is running ads talking about how he's freezing the state, the state gas tax. And when he says that, he doesn't mean eliminating it. He's not talking about a, a tax holiday like Biden is talking about. He's talking about a pause from a, the increase of where it currently is to a two cents higher increase that he mandated, Pritzker mandated. Yes. So when you look at this chart, this is actually worse than what you were saying, Jim, because mm. there is, a, you know, governments are crafty about the way that they tax their populace. So they do have a, in Illinois, it's like a 40 cent tax just on each gallon of gasoline but they also have taxes on wholesalers which as we know are just passed down to the consumers and there's also a sales tax that's on uh on gasoline so if you look at the illinois on this map it's actually well north of 40 cents it says 59 cents and that's not including the federal taxes so 59 cents plus the 18 cents in federal tax. And surely there's some other, uh, you know, in, indirect ways that the federal tax is being levied on gasoline. So we're talking about close to, if not slightly above 80 cents a gallon in taxes in Illinois, 80 cents. And that's compared to, you know, even if we give Jim's number of 30 cents in profit to the to oil companies, I've seen it closer to five to 10 cents. So maybe somewhere in the middle there. But the, the, the government is making out way more than the oil companies are when this uh, transaction has happened, a voluntary transactions happens when you go to the gas pump. And in California, which is, I think, the worst state in this map, yep. 67 cents at the state level, 67 cents plus 18 cents at the federal level. So nearly a dollar of every gallon of gas purchased in California is attributed to taxes. Like this, this is, if you're looking for a problem, if you're looking for price gougers, don't look at the oil companies, look at the governments, because that's, that's what's going on. So, uh, so Chris, I don't know, uh, my theory on my, my question that I started off this whole gas tax holiday mm -hmm. thing was, uh, you know, why is, why is Biden doing any of this? You know, if he's actually the one that's presiding over the building of the foundation of this transformational, you know, radical transformation, why is he doing that? And I'll just say that my my uh, before I get your insights, uh, uh, my theory on this is that it's just cover for the rest of the Democratic Party. So even after Joe Biden is gone, they can still point to some of these things as proof that the Dems have some solutions to people's problems. But uh, I'll give you a last word on this. I just think it's a uh, it, it's it's an attempt, like Jim said, to try to. Uh, convince the American people that, hey, we're doing something about this. You know, uh, we're we're trying to lower the price of gasoline by 18 cents a gallon. Big, you know, big wow. So <laughs> but 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 the American people, they they realize that 18 cents a gallon is nothing when you're paying five dollars a gallon for gas. Sure. And, you know, in, in, a, in a typical, uh, you know, gas tank, that's going to be like three dollars at most. You're saving three dollars sure. every time you fill up your tank. I mean, this is like, you know, this is let them eat cake, uh, French Revolution stuff that, I, <laughs> that I'm seeing here. Really? Right, seriously? Right. Yeah, well, you know, uh, this is the, the, the stuff that I went over with all that G fans and the, the race to zero and these kind of the international, um, you know, groups, governments, UN, all of that stuff. 
you're not going to really see a whole lot of that talk uh, on just your standard media outlets. Like you, you do really have to, and again, this might be just me tooting my own horn here, but you really do have to tune in to like our podcast to kind of get the latest on some of this stuff. Like it's pretty crazy. And I know that some of it's in the weeds and it doesn't make for great 30 second sound bites on a, on a clip on, you know, um, corporate media and all of that. But like, this is really the important stuff that's under the hood here. So uh, I just want to encourage everyone that hasn't already to hit that subscribe button to like and share this content. Leave a comment uh, below the video and all of the things that you can do to help kind of break through those big tech algorithms that prevents content like this from reaching more eyes. Jim, I'll give you last word on this podcast. Oh, well, <laughs> yes, definitely subscribe. And next time, if you're watching the show, we, we have such a great a great group of people who watch live and leave things in the chat. Bring a friend, bring one other person to the show next week. And uh, we'll see if we can help grow that way. Yep. All right. Fantastic. Well, I just want to thank everyone for joining in for this episode of In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. Again, for those audio only listeners that are catching this on a Friday, join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time. Leave your comments and questions in the chat there. Maybe we'll show your comments on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, which is 20% better than it was a couple of months ago by following In the Tank pod. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for the show feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you at jay lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org and chris talgo what do you have to pitch today stompingsocialism.com and heartland.org fantastic thank you all for tuning in we will talk to you next week Chance, your organization you are attacking